1: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
0: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: Gabby podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into that Gabby Roslin podcast. My guest on this episode is the incredibly talented and really very lovely Sanjeev Bhaskar OBE. He wrote and created the groundbreaking Goodness Gracious Me series on the BBC with his equally talented wife, Mira Sayal. Plus, of course, he's very well known for the Kumars and has been starring on our film and TV screens now for 20 years. He can currently be seen in the fourth series of the hugely successful ITV drama Unforgotten with Nicola Walker. What a brilliant double act they make. We also talk about the importance of representation on screen. Plus, he tells a story about something that happened when he was filming a bedroom scene with Anna Friel and Ray Winston. And we start our chat talking about Mr. Puppy Love himself, Donnie Osmond. Please can I ask you a favor? Would you mind please subscribing by pressing the subscribe or follow button on the show? And then if you wouldn't mind, rate and review on Apple Podcasts, which is the purple app on your iPhone or iPad. You simply scroll down to the bottom of all of the episodes and you'll see the stars where you can tap to rate and press write a review. It would mean the world to us. Thank you so much. Sanjeev, you know what? What I don't know where to start. This. Do we start with the fact that your wife and I are in love with the same man? And we, I mean, obviously you. <laughs> do we get it out in the open right at the very beginning? Hey,
0: it's your it's your show. You can do whatever you want. Do you know
1: who I mean? I do. Yeah.
0: I could I can assume that uh, uh, you mean uh, the Big D.
1: Yeah, I do. The
0: Big D. She's
1: wrestled me to the ground for Donnie Osmond before <laughs> on live television. She's wrestled Donnie to the ground. <laughs> she pushed me aside at the audience with Donny Osmond. What do, what do we do?
0: I, I don't think I can get involved. I mean, it's kind of, you know, this goes through the two of you like Brighton Rock. And so I think the safest place for me to stand is behind another Osmond.
1: <laughs> Which one are you going to choose?
0: Well, I mean, there's a whole load, isn't there? So, I mean, there'd be like a wall, an Osmond wall.
1: Oh, you're going to have the whole lot?
0: Well, I, I want to protect myself. So, Yes.
1: How many times does Mira sing Donny Osmond songs around the house every day? Uh,
0: it's quite often. It's quite often. So the last time we saw him was about eighteen months ago, and
1: uh, where did you see him? Eighteen. We ago?
0: saw him in Vegas. What? And, um, what? Yeah, the Donny and Marie show in Vegas. It was great. It was. I mean, it was such a great show. It was such a great show, and they're both so good, Donny and Marie. I mean, they're just. You know, total professionals, but also it felt like I'd never been to Vegas before, but it felt like what a Vegas show should feel like. You know, there was music and there was dancing and there was kind of people sitting at round tables and, you know, stuff I'd seen on, you know, TV really or on film with people watching Elvis or Sinatra or Dean Martin or somebody like that. So it felt like a very old fashioned Vegas show.
1: I, I actually, I'm going to use the J word. I'm jealous. I have no, I haven't seen Donnie perform f- for years. I mean, it's so funny hearing you say you go to Donnie. It shows how much you love your wife, which is quite wonderful. Because if you go to your play, your favourite playlists, it always is The Clash and Monty Python and things like that. And then you've got Donnie Osmond.
0: Yeah, Elvis and the Beatles. Yes. Yeah. Well, the thing is that also, I mean, he's such a lovely guy. I mean, the thing is, you know, his talent as an entertainer as a singer and an entertainer, is undeniable. And he is, you know, a really lovely guy. And something that happened after, so we went after this, it, was Mira, myself, and our son, who was 13 at the time, I think. And, um, you know, we, there were a whole load of people who were, you know, lining up to meet him. And we, you know, we dutifully stood in line. And then he came to us, and he went straight over to our son, and he said, uh, OK, I want to tell you, he said, your mom is really cool. She's great. Your dad's a jerk. <laughs> and, you know, which cracked my son up and then he gave me a huge hug. And he's funny, he's witty and very self-aware, you know, given how big the Osmonds were and how much of that diehard fandom of which obviously you are a part, um, that he has retained a sense of humility about it. And And in fact, I met all of them when they last performed uh, as a family. Um, And that was here, that was in London. I think it was the O2, maybe. Um, So I met the family afterwards as well. And in fact, when he was on the Kumars the first time, I think his parents came along, so I met them as well. And they were just really lovely, really lovely people.
1: Do you know what I'm gonna use, I'm gonna throw this all back at you in the nicest possible way, because you just said about Donny Osmond that he's funny, He's kind, he's a good man and he's an entertainer. I'm going to actually give you those as well about you because I think that's exactly what you are because you're just a really good bloke and you're funny and you're really lovely to spend time with and you're you're kind. So there we go, I'm, I'm th- sending it all the way back at you.
0: Well, that's that's very, very nice of you but uh, because I adore you as well, I have to say you, none of it is true. It's all an act. It's all
1: put on. It's all <laughs> put on. You're a liar. I'm
0: just a monster.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, okay, everyone goes on about that you started out in marketing and then suddenly mm. you were this star. It wasn't, it, I mean, it, it, you're, you're, you're creeping in to becoming the star that you are in the household name, which is lovely. I think household name is something that you should embrace. I know people feel a little bit guilty about being called that. But, but going from marketing to where you are now it. It. You weren't. An, it wasn't overnight, was it? But somebody did spot you and go, ah, they'd be good.
0: Yeah. I mean, I. You know, I got. I just got really and have remained incredibly lucky, and uh, so the yeah the marketing thing I did for a while and then uh, Nitin Sawney, who's just the most phenomenal musician and composer. Um, he and I were at university together, and you know we got together and we hit it off and we were friends and. We said, why don't we put on something that's a mixture of co- comedy and music, because it will, we will be unpredictable. No one's going to see two, you know, British Asian blokes on a stage. And, you know, we, we can really mess with that kind of uh, preconception, which we did. You know, we did kind of, you know, I did sort of Indian characters, if you like. Uh, but we also then sang Volare in Italian and... Knitting would then do a flamenco piece, and then we'd do a blues thing, and then um, I'd do some impressions. And so it was, we were difficult to pin down. And it was one of those shows that we were doing you know, years after we'd left university that a couple of producers came to see, uh, from what I understand, on the flip of a coin, because they they saw a flyer uh, for a little show that we were doing just in a studio space in uh, South London. And uh, the name of the show was Poppadom Preach. <laughs>
1: I love that.
0: They took one look at that title and went, this is going to be awful, isn't it? Um, So let's flip a coin because it's only an hour and a half. And we either go to see it or we'll get to the pub. And luckily, the uh, the coin landed our side up and they came to see it and then said, we're thinking of doing a sketch show. Uh, We're from the BBC. And this is the material we're sort of looking for. Would you be interested? And that was... I mean, I've always thought of that as my life changing moment. But when I really thought about it recently, it was meeting Nitin Sawney. That was the life changing moment. If I hadn't met him, I don't think I would have certainly wouldn't have gone down this particular path. I wanted to be involved in this industry, creatively in some way from about four years old onwards. So in a way, my sort of struggle with the 30 years that I, I didn't or couldn't do it, uh, but then just got you know, incredibly fortunate. I can't emphasise how fortunate I've been, really. I mean, it you know, personal life and, and, uh, and work.
1: A real sliding doors moment. I mean, that flip of a coin, that's extraordinary. I didn't know it was, it was just a flip of a coin.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that it was quite possible that Nitin and I would, would still kind of achieve something. Because we'd started performing. And you know, we, we had a little audience that was very loyal, you know, a couple of hundred people that would kind of follow us around. And I just thought, well, you know, this could build into something. Um, but I think if I hadn't met him, then I don't think any of it would have happened.
1: How amazing. And then, of course, you you talk about Goodness Gracious Me, and that was groundbreaking. I mean, there were a lot of uh, young Asian people now who still say, if it wasn't for Goodness Gracious Me and Kamars at number 42, that they feel that they might not have made that that step into it. So you've got a lot on your shoulders, which is a wonderful thing in a very good way.
0: Well, I'm not taking the blame for any of them. Uh, It's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, right place at the right time, I think. I think with goodness gracious me, I think five years earlier, I don't think anyone would have commissioned it. And I think probably five years later, someone else would have done something uh, like that. We just happened to be in the right place at the right time with the right people. And and again, that's that's just a stroke of good fortune, really.
1: Yes, because also it was good. You can't, you, you know, it was really funny and really good.
0: I mean, it's it's been extraordinary and humbling at how embraced that show has remained. And I think that if there was one thing that those of us, you know, who were writing it and uh, creating it, that helped was I think that we placed the comedy at the forefront rather than our politics it would have been very easy to do it the other way round and say right let's find sketches that explain our politics and we didn't we said look it's got to be funny first and if there's any kind of political message and it was mainly small p political which was the satire i guess uh, then that came afterwards so our primary focus was trying to be funny and trying to be entertaining and if, if we made a point within it then that was fine i think this is the question about uh representation which is that you know you have to see it to be it and i think that whether it's you know us as british asians doing something on tv or whether it's you know strong women being confident and strong whether it's people of a certain age who are being confident and out there in creating stuff all of that you know can have an impact and that's ultimately what to me representation and diversity means it's not just about color of skin or culture It's about everything else. It's about gender. It's about age. It's about regions as well. I think otherwise, you know, we regard, we're almost hardwired to regard things as, you know, us and them. And you go, well, those are their stories. And it's like the term chick flick. You know, it's kind of like, okay, well, that's for women, isn't it? And you kind of go, do you know, if If it's good, it's for me as well.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) Therefore, I think grew up not thinking that a story about women was somehow not for me, or a story based in Scotland about Scottish people was not for me, because you know most of the films that we watch are not about us. You know, they're about someone else. But it's the humanity within it and the universals that we connect with, and that is regardless of any of those things.
1: Hear, to that. But there are, there'll be lots of people um, out there listening to this who have grown up over a laundrette who think that... I, I spoke to a fantastic young actor yesterday. He's phenomenal. Calvin Denver. I really rate him. He's, he's extraordinary. He's in life. And he was saying that he never thought that somebody from Whitechapel who didn't have a penny to be able to go off to drama school or anything would ever make it because he'd never heard those stories. So the Mm. more that those stories, whoever it is, you know, the the, the more that people hear those stories, that anything is possible for anybody. I really, I mean, I I, I know it's a very, it's a sort of flippant, easy thing to say, but I do want people to have those dreams and realise that they can happen.
0: I think it's very, very important to have those dreams, actually. I mean, it's not that it translates necessarily into a profession, but I think that You know that your one's imagination being engaged and pursuing that and i think particularly creatively because i think if you're going to be a good creative then you kind of have to access good empathy good communication and self-awareness which which helps and all three of those things will help you in whatever you're doing you know that's just essential those are just essential life skills i mean you need that with your children and so, yeah, I think that it's very important to to dream, and also the journey is everything you know the thing is you might set out with a particular dream in mind, but then you just learn and you you're open to those other options and avenues that only reveal themselves by you taking a step on that journey, and that may lead you to you know where you need to be at any other given time
1: so we saw you first of all in comedy roles, and then you've done i mean i'm suddenly zipping to to the most recent, Unforgotten, that you surprised a lot of people when you Mm. when you did that.
0: Uh, Yeah, I I remember at the time when I I got cast, I remember saying to my agent, I said, I think there'll be one of two reactions to me in this. It'll either be, I didn't know he could act. Or it'll be, I told you he couldn't act. (laughs) Uh, It'll be be one or the other. And uh, and particularly the first series, um, you know, we were surrounded by such incredible actors i remember saying to nicola walker uh, when we did the read through or maybe just after the read through and there was tom courtney and uh, bernard hill and gemma jones and trevor eve and uh, all these amazing people who were there and, and i said this is incredible and she said yeah i mean it's just amazing kind of you know we're surrounded by them and i said you're one of them nicola. <laughs> it's kind of i'm surrounded by all of yous And it was an extraordinary experience. And I, you know, I was trying to hang on, really, still am. And in fact, we're just... Really? Yeah, because I I hadn't done anything like that before. So, you know, I did feel that I had to, you know, repay this huge, yet another slice of good fortune in being cast. And uh, I just, it was like a drama lesson every day for me. I just watched these people and... the the main difficulty was not in the middle of a scene just to start applauding. (laughs) Uh, Like you were at the theatre or something. (laughs) (laughs) go, bravo! (laughs) Now, where were you on the night of the... um, And very often, um, you know, particularly with the interview scenes, uh, because the guest actors were generally the suspects, we would do a scene with them when they had the bulk of it. And when they shouted cut, Nicol and I would just look at them and go you're really good. You're really, really good.
1: Were you in awe of any of them? Were there, were there those moments where you just thought, oh, my God, I'm acting opposite so-and-so? I
0: think the first series, and I think Tom Courtney, I think particularly, yeah. because I just thought, always thought he was extraordinary. And then to be doing scenes with him was, was amazing. Uh, and each series, when those actors have come in, uh, different actors each time have come in, you just kind of look at them and you go, boy, you're just really, really good. And, and, and Tom was, was lovely as a person and is lovely as a person. And so, you know, you admire them in two different ways, really. You admire their skills in terms of their job, but then you just admire them as, as a human being. It's, it's a real privilege.
1: Yeah, but hold on a minute. They're probably thinking the same of you because you are superb. In no, it. they're not. No, they are. No, they've taken. Said... Well, yeah, it's it's
0: just that they've said the opposite.
1: They they, they haven't Either looked Tom at Courtney you and said and... you're awful. They've said you're brilliant. No, they
0: didn't. They went, oh, I was all right. No, you're not as good never. as me. One of them said. I want I don't want to say who. No, they didn't. But, no, they didn't really. That would have been funny though.
1: You've been handcuffed by Anna Friel, haven't you? <laughs>
0: That you, you know, you just brought up probably the most stressful days filming I've ever had in my life. <laughs> it was terrifying. It was terrifying. So yes, it was in a in a film called London Boulevard, and um, she had to well, she had handcuffed me to a bed and was kind of uh, making hay. <laughs> I, I read it in the script, and I kind of said to the director, "So do you think he'd be in his pajamas?" And he said no why would he be in his pyjamas i said well maybe a vest or something and they went, no and i went oh okay and i honestly I, I had about two months before that scene and i just you know hit the gym i had a personal trainer and then the day arrived and um i got in in the morning and it was like the second scene second or third scene and they said uh, do you want some breakfast and i said no, absolutely not <laughs> and then we got to lunchtime and they said look we haven't got to your scene we'll do it after lunch uh, some lunch, and I went, Nope, just some water, that'd be fine. And they said, Okay, it's the next scene. So, you know, you've got bit uh, about half an hour or so. And I was kind of like, you know, doing sit ups and, you know, press ups and all this kind of stuff. And then they kind of said, Okay, we've, we've moved it on a bit, actually. They've moved another scene. I went, Fine, okay. And then we got to sort of six, seven o'clock dinner. They said, Dinner? I went, No, I, no, I don't. When are we going to do this scene? And they said, After dinner? I went, No, I don't want any dinner. Okay, I'll be up next. Great. Right. Sit ups, press ups, breathing in. How far can how much how long can I breathe in for? That was the other thing. And still speak. (laughs) It was all that stuff. And then it got to about 10 o'clock and they said, we're not going to do it today. Oh, no. And I got in the car to come home and uh, the guy said, um, you know, uh, straight home. And I said, if you see a chip shop.
1: (laughs) <laughs>
0: let just stop and I actually stopped and got a bag of chips and then it was and then I thought well I, listen I've got another two weeks of going to a personal trainer and all that stuff and then uh, then we shot the scene and um, Ray Winston was in the scene and he has to come in at the end Ray was so terrifying that I actually wrenched one of the handcuffs off the bed you know kind of, yeah I mean it was there were cuts around my wrist he was terrifying and um what
1: meant to, not him you mean the character not actually Ray no Ray, you mean Ray Ray was lovely yes um
0: but Ray kind of <laughs> you know five minutes before Ray was saying to me he was saying yeah I'm gonna go and see West Ham Going to go and see West Ham on uh well, they, they're not doing so well at the moment and then the next minute we're in a scene and he's kind of like scaring the bejesus out of me <laughs> and um Ray said to me at one point uh he said he said he said what i'm going to do he said i'm going to come over here i'm going to talk a bit of flannel right, and then I'll, I'll walk over to the bed right and i'll throw the bed clothes off you and i said will you and he said yeah and then he leant in he said what's the matter you're wearing <laughs> knickknacks aren't you <laughs> i said yes i am wearing knickknacks Thank you.
1: When you look at it back, are you pleased of all the work, hard work that you went through and no food for a day?
0: I haven't watched it back, to be honest. Really? I, can I tell you, you just reminded me that the most embarrassing thing about that scene was that if you're handcuffed to a bed, so you can imagine it's a kind of, you know, iron sort of bed posted um, bed. Yes. And, uh, and so I'm kind of, you know, linked to the, you know, the bars at the back was that I would slip down the bed and then I couldn't get myself back up. So I'd be kind of too low and then two kind of like burly grips had to come over (laughs) and (laughs) hoik me back into position every time. That was the most embarrassing thing. There you go.
1: Things like that. My other favorite story that I, um, when I was doing my deep dive into Sanji Vasco was (laughs) the man who became a hamster after he died or something.
0: Oh God! What,
1: that story is just brilliant. I mean, you told it years and years ago. What what was the story?
0: Well, very well remembered. It it was, um, yeah, a friend of the family's, uh, so my parents' friends, who had, uh, I think he had cancer, I think. Oh, see, now
1: we shouldn't laugh. Well,
0: no, do you know what? Life is a mixture of the two. You know, it's not exclusive. Life does not split into exclusively tragic and comic. Uh, And this is, you know, my illustration of it. And he had been given the last rites on a number of occasions, but had survived 10 years beyond that. You know, he was an extraordinary survivor. And eventually, when he passed away, there was a gathering at his house in East London. And uh, all the women folk were in one room and all the men folk were in the other. And even though I was quite young, I was kind of stuck in with the men folk. And uh, this family friend had had a lot of kind of experimental treatments uh, towards the end of his life. And as there was this kind of, you know, revered silence in the room, uh, one of the old men in there said, you know, he was a great man. But in the end, he just became a hamster. And I said, uh, I said, I think the term you're looking for is used as a guinea pig. Oh! And somebody said, yes, that's it. He was a guinea pig. I said, no, he wasn't. It, no, it's used as. Is the, it's not become. And the room then split into two. Two factions. There was a guinea pig faction and a hamster faction and they all started <laughs> arguing with each other. Like, no, it's hamster. No, it is guinea pig. I'm telling you it's guinea pig. It, how can it be guinea pig? What is a guinea pig? And uh, how dare you say pig? It's not a pig. It's little... Oh, and it got very personal. I remember at one point somebody said to one of the other guys across the faction, he said, when I came to this country, you never helped me." You know, it just kind of went off topic at that point and just got a bit personal. <laughs>
1: oh, my and then this, God, yes. <laughs> the
0: oldest man there just said, uh, yes, but he was, a, we can agree, he was a great man. And they all agreed he was great man, great man. And then somebody just said, and in the end, he became a guinea pig. And I just <laughs> had to leave the room. And I kind of walked into the next room where the women were laughing. And I just got dirty looks from all of them. Um. So yeah, that was that was the guinea pig hamster story.
1: Do you know? I but I laugh at times like that. I mean, I I do believe and the whole reason that that we decided to do this podcast is because I think laughter is the best medicine. Mm. And I, I, what makes you properly laugh? I know you love Laurel and Hardy mm. and and Python, mm. and of course you were in Spam a lot as well. But but what makes you really guffaw? Things like that. Those those moments that you shouldn't laugh.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's it's very difficult to kind of pin down what makes you laugh. I think that I'm, I think if there's anything, I'm open to laughing. And I I think the other thing, thinking back about, you know, just my life so far, up to this point, has been, I, from very young, I could see the ridiculous, you know, most things taken to their extreme, you know, they can become horrible, and they can become frightening and then they become ridiculous. And I think that with, you know, with stuff, you know, like racism and stuff like that, that I might have encountered when I was a kid, I think I could go to the ridiculous fairly quickly. And I think that and it was by default, not by design. But I think that's kind of held me in pretty good stead. It's kept me in a fairly healthy place.
1: In what sort of way?
0: If one was to explain it to an alien, and say, I don't think that person is capable because that person is a woman. You know, an alien would go, what? That, that's the only basis? Or that person I don't think is capable because that person has dark skin. And you'd go, that's just ridiculous. And so you can take it to an, an extremely ridiculous place in your head um, fairly quickly. In terms of me being a twit, um, I remember when I was about 8, 10, something like that, you know, the desperation to fit in and just be normal and average and be a part of something. I thought, you know, I my name is not the most difficult uh, name that I've ever encountered. And yet people always had difficulty with it. And I remember I did a milk round as a Saturday job, and I remember the the milkman said to me on the first Saturday morning, and he said, uh, so what's your name? And I said, Sanjeev. And he said, what? I said, Sanjeev. And he said, Sam what? And I said, Sanjeev, you can call me Sanj, if that's easy, Sanj. And he went, hey. I said, Sanj. And he went, I- I'm just going to call you Sam. And I said, all right, I'm just going to call you Horace. Wow. Good for you. And he said, "Good for it's you. not my name. And I said, so? I said, if we're starting with not our names, it's kind of like um because it was ridiculous and uh, but when i was about eight or ten trying to fit in i remember thinking you know i remember it was at the swimming pool pool actually local swimming baths and the kids i didn't know and one of them said what's your name and i said it's steve and they went steve and i said yeah and they went oh steve and i thought okay <laughs> good and then they were shouting steve and obviously i didn't turn around and they just thought i was some arrogant little git called steve
1: yeah, but we all do it. I did it because I was embarrassed of my name because I never stopped talking. And as you can tell, and everyone <laughs> used to go, oh, Gabby, oh, and that you sound like, that's your name. And I was so embarrassed because there were no other Gabbies, So I, I did the same thing. I remember being about 12 and somebody, we were with these people I didn't know. I was desperately shy, always very, very shy. And I just remember they say, what's your name? I said, Gabby. They went, what? Gabby? Does that mean you talk a lot? I said, no, Kirsty." like some ridiculous and they said oh oh fine and then they just carried on and then i thought for about 20 minutes later i thought that's really stupid so when they called me Kirsty, i said i don't know why you thought i said Kirsty." i said gabby and then they laughed at me and i went and i thought what did i do that for and it it's funny how we just all of us no matter what like you said no matter what color no matter what religion no matter what sexuality there's a time that you want to just fit in you and especially if you're a shy person you just want to fit
0: yeah, you do. Well, you want to feel that you're part of something, and if you're, if you feel excluded from whatever that part is, and you don't know as a kid, um, then, you know, you either kind of simper or you try to adapt in some sort of way. And although I'm now thinking, you and I should do the Kirsty and Steve show.
1: I could see it now. Yes, and we should find out who everybody's fake names were when they were teenagers,
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and what that fake. Um, history would then be, you know, what would Kirsty have done? What has Steve would have done?
1: So what happened to what happened to Steve?
0: I think I think Steve, I think Steve grew up to be a minicab driver.
1: Yeah, Kirsty was a secretary. And there's nothing wrong with being a minicab driver or a secretary.
0: <laughs> nothing wrong with that Absolutely. at all. Absolutely. No, that's just what happened to Steve and Kirsty.
1: But also, you talked about shyness, and Mira's talked about shyness. I have to say, mm. uh, I, we must just, the other thing about Mira, not just Donnie Osmond, and not just that she's your wonderful wife, but many, 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 many years ago, she and I did a show together for Radio 4, a comedy panel show. It must be 25, 30, I don't know, years ago. And she gave me, I always remind her of this, she gave me a bindi that was on her um, head, on her forehead. And I kept saying, that's so pretty, that's so pretty. And at the end of the show, she gave it to me. She said, never lose this, this will bring you luck. And I've told you before, I still have it. Wow. I have it on my, on my plastic um, uh, card holder for my equity card.
0: Oh, and I crazy. still have it. I've
1: never, I, she told me I wasn't, couldn't lose it because it was for good luck. And it was, it's red and it's got little gold bits on it. I've still got it.
0: Wow. That's amazing. She's going to be so chuffed when I tell her that. That's really lovely. It
1: actually makes me over, it slightly makes me over emotional thinking about it. There were a few things that you just, I don't what it just meant so much. So I sort of put it in my hand. I was overwhelmed that she'd taken it off her forehead and gave it to me.
0: Well, you know, the thing is, one of the advantages I think that we have is that, you know, within our line of work, it just so happens that we get to meet a range of people who are you know creative and expressive and the one thing that is joyous I think more joyous than anything else for me certainly is that you just find people that you connect with and and that is you know in most lines of work that is trickier because there isn't the turnover of people that you might meet in a in in what we do and so, you know, when I worked in an office, it was the same people in the office I worked with for you know, two years, three years, four years, whatever. And, you know, it was nine to five. And then you went home and then you went back to the office. And no doubt you could find connections with those people. But it is such a privilege to kind of meet, you know, over time, you know, people for whom communicating is a passion in some way. And that's that's the thing. You kind of, you know, you you might meet someone once on a panel show, twenty five years ago, and you remember a small thing, a small connection. And yeah,
1: yeah uh, but but that is a privilege. going back to the 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 shyness and the awkwardness, and it's amazing that the amount of people that I've spoken to over the years, when I've interviewed people, and mm. through this podcast, you know, Robbie Williams talked about his shyness, uh, Dame Judi Dench did, Celia Imrie, you know, everybody's talking about how incredibly. Sort of nervous is the wrong word, shy and, and not quite... I suppose it comes back to that name thing as well. There's that shyness and yet something... I mean, you're now... You, if, you, if you look yourself up, which you can because it's only nice things written about you, but if you look yourself up, it's always that you're an entertainer, an actor, a writer, a musician. Um, uh, weren't you number one with for comic relief?
0: We were with Gareth Gates, yeah, Spirit in the Sky. Yes. Yeah.
1: Oh my word!
0: Number one for three weeks.
1: So all of those things, that that little lad who was wanted to fit in, called Steve. Um, uh, that now looking at it all, it's wonderful, isn't it? Glorious and wonderful. Do
0: you know what? I was talking to my parents uh, day before yesterday, and this came up, and this is the whole journey thing. And I said to my mum, "I said, do you remember the posters I had on my wall?" And she could remember some of them, and and I said, "You know, I had a." poster of kind of James Bond and uh, Clint Eastwood and uh, James Dean and Elvis and the Beatles and Python and then loads of old postcard sized pictures of Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn and the Marx Brothers, Lauren Hardy and Charlie Chaplin and, you know, anything that I was kind of vaguely into, you know, pinned it up on my wall. Uh, and then kind of into the early 80s, there was, you know, there was the clash and there was... Uh, Uh, Who else did I have? The Specials, Elvis Costello. So I had all these kind of like little pictures and posters up in my bedroom wall. Uh, And I was 14, 14, 15. And I said to my mum, I sometimes think about how many of those people, A, I've met, and B, I've become friends with. And I said, it it blows my 14-year-old's mind. Because if anyone had said to me at 14, do you know these people, you're gonna be friends with some of them. I would have gone just, oh, just ridiculous. Shut up. You'll meet some of them at least. No, of course I won't. You know, these people live in that world. I live in this world. And I find that incredibly humbling. That you know, that my 14 year old self, I can turn around to my 14 year old self and go, you won't believe what's in store for you. Yes, there's going to be some really bumpy moments and some really awful and horrible moments, but you won't believe what's coming up after that. And that's an extraordinary feeling. Do
1: you say that to your son, isn't he? He's 15, 15? 15,
0: he? He's nearly 15. Yeah. yeah.
1: So he's that age. So would you say that to him?
0: I, I do say that to him. And I kind of say to him, look, you know, the two things one is because obviously, he's met proper famous people um, through us. And he went through a stage with his friends and his age group where they where the word famous became you know the be all and end all and and he and i'd say to him you know when he was about eight or nine you know have you thought about what you might want to be and he said famous and i said famous doing what and he went just famous and i said hitler and he went no and i said well he's very well known famous for what you know and Secondly, I'd go, OK, what have all these people got in common that we that are friends of ours and what have they got in common with members of our family and friends who aren't in this profession and ultimately you know, drive them towards, well, they're really nice and they're kind and generous. And I go, that's that's it. That's it. The other stuff is a skill and you can admire that. It's kind of getting him to focus on that as well, but also just going, look, you know, it is it is a journey and it is a trip. And actually, the one thing that you can be throughout any stage of it, whether you're up, down, feel that you're successful or not successful, is compassionate and kind and humorous.
1: Hear, hear.
0: It's, it's the one thing that you can carry. And I think I'm hoping that, you know, if those are embedded, then those are the things that will. I remember saying to him, actually, this is last year. I think we were in a conversation. I was driving somewhere and I said to him, I said, Do you know, a sense of humor can save your life. And he said, No, it can't. and I said, it really can. And he said it can't. And I said, Do you know what, it can head off stress. It can head off, you know, then having a stroke or something like that. I said, So it's really important. I said, sense of humor about yourself primarily, but about the world around you. And then I tell him to kind of, you know, clean his room because he hasn't done it. And what you expect me to pick up the dishes as well. You can't pick up the dish, and oh, so just putting it in the sink is doing me a favour, is it? There's dishwasher next to it. You couldn't put it in that.
1: Yep. Yeah, yeah. I have teenagers too. I know exactly <laughs> that routine. sanjeev what's so wonderful is that you have exactly. The, I, I really mean it. The same philosophy in life. I think kindness is the key, and I think laughter is everything. And I think that's how we get through. And that's what you do bring. You really do. And whether you like to take a compliment or not, I'm saying to you, I think you are. One darn fabulous man, full of kindness, compassion and laughter. And you share the laughter. So thank you. And thank you for being on this. It's, it, I'm so thrilled you were able to make it. So thank you very oh, much. Oh,
0: that's very sweet. And uh, I reflect all that back at you. Bless
1: you. Thank you so much for listening. Coming up on the next episode, we have something enormous for you. We have the Line of Duty Special. Yes, I'm going to be talking to Vicky McClure, Martin Compston, and Adrian Dunbar together talking line of duty and so much more. That Gabby Roslin podcast is proudly produced by Cameo Productions. Music by Beth Macari. Please press the subscribe button and it will come straight to your phone on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you choose to listen. Also, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts.